0: What's going on guys? It's your man with the plan, Samuel Plan, coming back at you once again with a brand new episode of Sports Entertainment is Dead right here exclusively on Lords of Pain Radio. Alright, welcome to the show guys. Thanks for tuning in. As I say every week, if you did miss last week's episode, you can still go catch it on demand and you could catch indeed all the great episodes of any LOP radio show on demand Head over to blogtalkradio.com, head over to lordsofpain.net, they're all there for your listening pleasure. Not going to beat around the bush, bush too much this week, folks, because I've decided to try something a little bit different. As you know, it's Royal Rumble season, and if you've been following my columns and my podcasts, you know how much the Royal Rumble means to me. You know how much Royal Rumble fever always grips me, and this month, this year, is absolutely no different. I've been doing a column over on lordspain.net that you can still check out, parts 1 and 2 currently posted, of the top 60 non-winning Royal Rumble match performances of all time. And at first I thought about doing something to complement that this week, and then I thought, well why not try something a little bit different. I want to sit down with you this week and do a watch-along. I want to do... Uh, I'd say a live watch along, though of course the event isn't live, I'm going to fire up my favourite Royal Rumble match, what I believe to be the greatest Royal Rumble match of all time, a match that doesn't quite get the plaudits I think it deserves, and as I sit and watch it, I'm going to talk you through exactly minute by minute why I believe it is, as I say, the greatest match of its kind. Hopefully, if you've got access to the WWE Network currently, you'll be able to fire it up yourself. I'll tell you the time index in a second to start from, and we can watch along with each other, and you can hear essentially my commentary on why I think this is such a great Royal Rumble. The Royal Rumble match I am speaking of is, of course, 2009, which saw Randy Orton emerge the victor. I suppose I should have probably given you a spoiler warning before I said that, but hey, it's been almost, it has been 10 years. Blimey, that's flown by. Uh, So, I don't think you could do me for a spoiler after 10 years. Okay, well, there's no point in us hanging around here. We'll see how this is going to go. I don't know if it'll be a success or not. If it isn't, you won't even be listening to this show ever, so I guess that's a moot point, but nevertheless... If you want to fire up the Royal Rumble match of 2009 on your network, then on your chosen device. And I am currently sat paused at time index 1 hour, 41 minutes and 9 seconds. John Morrison and Rey Mysterio have already entered the ring as entrance number 1 and 2. I figured there was no point in hanging around for the pre-match hype package, which is just the usual listing of stats or indeed the entrances. So that's 1 hour, 41 minutes, 9 seconds. I'll give you a few seconds here to get that in place. You could pause the podcast and then fire it back up when you're ready. Okay, well I suppose there's nothing left for it, but for us to press play in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, and play. Here we go. So we start off then with uh, Ray and John Morrison one-on-one in the ring. And we're going to see pretty much from the very beginning here, you can see the two of them sort of... Talking trash to one another, that's pretty standard, that's pretty par for the course. But we're going to see very quickly the two of them start launching into what's going to show itself to be the sort of the predominant theme of this Rumble, and one of the many reasons why I think it's so great and it's coming up any second now, you can see straight away they're not just brawling, they're not hitting, they're not punching, they're not chopping. It's typical Rey Mysterio stuff. And there you go, right there. Rey Mysterio dumped over the top rope. Now, usually, most times, what would happen is Rey would just roll straight back in the ring, you'd get back on it. But you can see that they're choosing to try and bleed as much out of that near elimination as they can. Now, there's two things that crop up time and time again in the 2009 Rumble that we'll be going through, and you'll hear me talk about these a lot, so I'm sorry if you get sick of me saying these words. But the one is action set pieces, which we'll get to, and the other is near eliminations, like Morrissey kicking, we saw a moment ago, Mysterio's hand as he was skinning the cat. They really milk those near eliminations for all they're worth. It's not like in other Rumbles where it's sort of just a, a passing trope. That picks up time and time again, and as I'm talking, you can and you can see Mysterio and Morrison, and there's Morrison. Look again, near elimination. It's not just a standard over the top roll back in. He's sort of overreacting almost. There's quite a melodramatic reaction to it. Mysterio's now again milking it for all he can get. It's it's tense. Essentially, what you're getting is the very final finish, the final finish, the finish of the 1995 Royal Rumble on constant instant replay all the way through this thing as Carlito enters here at number three. Uh, and Carlito, I kind of got cut off a second ago uh, with Morrison's near elimination there about my second point, and that's probably going to happen a lot through this because it really is, the action comes you know, thick and fast all the way through. But you can see it unfolding here. Carlito spitting the apple in Morrison's face. I think in a few moments he's going to a, a nail a springboard moonsault as well. You could see Mysterio doing it there. It's counted into a swinging netbreaker. Beautiful stuff. Set pieces. Action set pieces. This isn't standardized action. What I mean by set pieces is consciously choreographed, consciously stylized kinds of action. You see it here. Bing bong. Springboard moonsault on John Morrison by Carlito. So you've got heavily stylized action from the very beginning. It's eye-popping. And it's a lot more exciting to watch, quite frankly, than just the standard brawling that you normally see in Royal Rumble, because you know, I mean, I'm I'm the first guy to really sort of shy away from over stylized stuff. Uh, if you've heard me sort of talk about NXT matches recently, you'll know kind of my chagrin for how over the top NXT matches can often be, and you could almost level that criticism at this particular Royal Rumble. Again, by the way, Rays on the on the on the edge of the canvas there. He's not really doing much, but he's, hes he, you know, a few seconds ago, he was sort of sliding off of it. So, again, you've got the milk in that near elimination. But um, as I was saying, you know, we've barely seen any of these guys really brawl so far. In fact, you could almost be uh, forgiven for thinking of this as a standard triple threat match. Uh, there's, you know, I mean, you can see it here. Carlito looks stomping away at Morrison. It does merge into that several times over. But as MVP charges to the ring, you're going to see some more set pieces in a second. And it just makes it more exciting to watch. You know, I don't believe that that's true of all things, as I was saying a few minutes ago. But I think it's true in this particular Royal Rumble. I'm all for, you know, stylized action if it helps with what's going on. And I think it does here. You can see the set piece... Again, uh, MVP, he's basically just hitting a trademark move, but it's something a little bit different to what you'd normally see. Normally, by this point, there's the set piece. Mysterio charges headlong into an overhead belly-to-belly in mid-move as MVP, then nails his trademark. So, again, you've got stuff going on that's just... It's a little bit more, quite frankly. That's the word that I'm looking for. It's simply just more than what you'd normally get in a Royal Rumble match. The other thing that I wanted to say here, I mean, look at the names you've got in the ring. Mysterio, Morrison, MVP, Carlito... I've spoken recently on The Pond with Maverick and Mazza, just last week, in fact, about how guys like John Cena and Randy Orton, and Orton's performance in this match was set-piece, bing again, that that uh, beautiful kind of disaster kick there, into a drive-by. So again, you've got, you've got guys bouncing off of one another in creative fashions here. But what I was saying was, you know, on The Pond we were talking about how Orton has a commanding performance in this match, and I mentioned how Cena and Orton were really main eventers before their time. They were forced to step up because Lesnar and Orton departed from the company, and it's interesting to consider, if we phrase it as saying, if history was remained intact, if Rock never departed, but never departed, that this would be around the time you would imagine Cena and would be genuinely breaking through into that main event. And were they then a lot of these stars in the ring, MVP Carlito particularly, I'm thinking of, perhaps wouldn't be the kind of missed opportunities, and that what we'd be watching would be a genuinely exciting opportunity for these guys who could believably, in that alternate universe where Orton wasn't a main event star and was just breaking through with Cena, that these would be a slew of big names instead of now, as we watch back, they're kind of uh, a bunch of, as I say, missed opportunities. Collie enters now, and what we get is essentially a mini-repeat of his production in 2007, and that's okay, because in 2007's Rumble Collie was produced perfectly. He wipes the field out, and then out comes The Undertaker to sort of challenge him and eliminate him, and that's exactly what's going to happen here. This whole kind of scenario plays out as almost like a warm-up. It's sort of a prologue to the main meat of this Royal Rumble match. That's what I like. It's it's like it's warming you up, you know, it's like you're going to the cinema and you get a preview before the actual film. Um and again, you know, I mean it's more than just your usual kind of rumble stuff. You saw a second ago Mysterio charge Carly as he had FAP by one hand and, and Mysterio was swatted away. You've got that multiple that multiplicity, I guess, is a good word for it. People bouncing off one another. Uh, that's something we talk about a lot on The Pond, incidentally. We talk about shared universe and stuff, uh, uh, the fact that the product operates at its best when you get a sense of all these characters existing in the same space. That's literally what a Royal Rumble is, and so it's nice to see them not just pairing off, you know, two guys in one corner, two guys in another corner, that they're all interacting with one another, bouncing off one another like a ping-pong ball machine. Now, I met your production 2007 a moment ago, Obviously, in this instance, Kozlov replaces The Undertaker. Try not to sneer too much at that. I mean, Kozlov at the time was still kind of a failing prospect, a failing experiment, but he was still a big deal. There was talk about maybe he would wrestle The Undertaker instead of Shawn Michaels at WrestleMania that year. That remained very much up in the air until the nth hour. So to give him this big elimination with Carly right there, to basically derail Khali's domination very, very early on, is very clever. It gives you an out in terms of how do we deal with Carly, you know, without him just decimating everybody, because we're married to the idea that his size means he's a threat, while at the same time giving Kozlov an opportunity to really make a mark and essentially change the complexion of the match before following it up as we see here with the elimination of MVP is going to follow him in very short order uh, and then this transitions into the next little nice character touch there's a lot of character in this Royal Rumble here's another near elimination look it's not an elimination by the usual sort Carlito, he's about to try and counter Kozlov El- uh, shoulder to the gut there and he goes to springboard and Kozlov just says I'm not having that See you later, Carlito. Nice knowing you. Uh, and in a few seconds, Carlito's is going to be dumped unceremoniously to the outside. So again, elimination—not in the usual fashion. It's not just pick you up, throw you out. It's done in much more creative ways. Creativity, very much the uh, the word of the hour for this Royal Rumble. We're going to see in a second how this transitions into another nice character interaction that basically writes them—excuse me—writes <coughs> them out of this Kozlov corner. In a way that continues his character's arc, because of course, here comes one of the favourites for the Royal Rumble match that year, Triple H. Early entry for Triple H, entry number seven. Interestingly, in terms of tropes, that sort of positions him as an underdog hero here instead of an action hero, which you would think would probably suit him more, especially because he starts off very much... In the action hero mold, you see the stare down between him and Kozlov. A nice little moment that's respectful to the presence Kozlov's meant to be having at this point. So it's got one eye on, on utility as one eye, as well as one eye on creativity. So, you know, again, really well done there. And Triple H bursts in like, like the action hero. House of Fire is the, uh, the phrase that Vince McMahon would probably be using here if he was on commentary. Triple H off the ropes. Kozlov floors him. So again, this is this is progressing Kozlov's narrative arc. Obviously, at the end of two thousand and eight, Kozlov challenged for the WWE Championship at Survivor Series in a match that was very much kind of lambasted at the time. But his opponent that night was Triple H, at least until Edge kind of came in and interfered. Uh, and so you've got a nice you've got a nice repeat of that. You know, Kozlov is written out of the match nice and early, so they're not sort of all caught up on him and they can get on with the interesting stuff. Uh, but at the same time. Uh, it's done in a way that's respectful to Kozlov's character, and it's done in a way that's respectful to continuity. Another wonderful thing about this, this Royal Rumble match that we're seeing here, again, that shared universe, characters exist in the same space. It's true of any Royal Rumble, but it feels particularly clear, particularly pertinent in this one, as you're seeing those mid-carders wrestle with those top league main event talents. And I guess maybe the reason why that feels so refreshing here is because we'd been stuck in the scene of Triple H Orton, on cycle for so long, and would be a while yet longer, I'm mentioning Orton, of course, here he comes. Now, this is where the set pieces really start to come uh, thick and fast. This is a commanding performance from Randy Orton that we're going to see from him as he walks with absolute composure down to the ring and doesn't hesitate to take the fight straight to Triple H. It's a curious start for a villain, that. You know, usually they take that a little while longer. They're perhaps a little more coy about getting in the ring with an action hero. But keep one eye here on uh, Morrison and Mysterio in the background, because as Triple H and, and Orton wrestle in the foreground, and they're very much framed in the foreground here, uh, you could see. I mean, Orton there, uh, you know, he's the, again. It's like a match within a match. Orton's hitting his trademark moves. He's going for a for an RKO in that wonderfully sort of Python-like way. Triple H counters. Now here's the set piece. He goes for a pedigree. In comes Morrison off camera, nails his kick. Orton stumbles forward. In comes Mysterio from the side of the camera. Nails are sent on Orton, and now you transition back into the kind of the mid card uh, element of the match. You've taken the main eventers out with interaction through the mid carders, and immediately you're moving straight into another set piece as Mysterio hits a six one nine on John Morrison, uh, and they're all down. So that's exactly the kind of, and you can hear the crowd reaction to that. If if I'm not sort of talking over it too much, is is they're popping for this kind of creative offense now by this point and usually in a royal rumble match take 2008 for example everybody loves you've just got a bunch of guys in the ring all pairing off hitting and kicking one another isn't this a lot more colorful and vibrant than that isn't this all just a lot more interesting to watch a lot more exciting to watch jtg enters here and immediately what you get is again another main characteristic of this royal rumble we're almost a third of the way through uh, which is character uh, crime Time come out. We're not sure which one's going to win. JTG says, let's flip a coin. He wins. He heads into the ring. You get a nice camera shot on Shad as he says, "It's oh, it's a double-sided coin. So it's a nice character moment there where you immediately know, okay, that's Crime Time. If I've never seen Crime Time before, I kind of know the kind of characters that they are. And immediately we're going to see some more stylized action. Sling blade by j t g it's nothing new for someone to come in and nail a big move. you know Edge talked in an interview recently about how you get to take the sort of the greatest hits of everybody if you're a thread in the Royal rumble match uh but in a match like this where I've already sort of tried to pinpoint how there's so much stylized set piece kind of action um I think it's worth pointing out when people do hit those moves because they're they're essentially lifting themselves to the bar that's being set by the match in general. Now, if you excuse me, I'm just going to take a sip of tea. And you can see, again, coming back to near eliminations, Triple H has taken out two guys in the foreground, and in the background here, you now in the foreground, now you have Orton and Mysterio. And just look at that, the bend in Orton's back, Mysterio with those legs wrapped around and trapping his arm, he slides down one arm as Orton releases, and Mysterio falls back in the ring. It's a near elimination, it's milked for all it's worth, it's not just kind of a point of of uh of just standard oh that's what happens in a rumble they're making a point of it they're in, they're embracing one of the core aspects that only happens in a royal rumble match number 10 enters it's Ted DiBiase Jr. oh how the mighty have fallen and and now we begin to see the formation of legacy uh I'm worried that I may have just fallen out of sync a little bit with you, but I'm sure we're around the same point anyway. I'm currently at time index 154.48. So, um, JTG and Morrison take out DiBiase with a double drop kick, and immediately you get straight into another set piece as Morrison and JTG now go at each other. DiBiase charges in, nails them both over the top, We move into another uh, version of the near-elimination look. They're milking it again. We've never seen this before. Two skinnings of the cat at the same time. While in the background, Mysterio is nailing Ted DiBiase and going to take DiBiase over the top rope. And you get a similar version of events on the other side of the ring. So, I mean, it's just pinging from one thing to another to another just relentlessly. And it's fantastic to watch. It's so much more colorful and vibrant than a normal Royal Rumble. I love it. I love it. And you, and by the way, if I'm not talking over it too much, you could probably hear JR kind of getting a, a sort of tone in his voice that is sort of awe-inspired by how many near eliminations there are. There's some more stylized action from Mysterio in the background. We're going to start counting countdown now. Now, as the next entrant hits, I'm going to pause it just in case we have fallen out of sync. Okay, I'm pausing in the video now. I'm at 1 minute fifty-five, uh, one hour, 55 minutes and 54 seconds, so if we are out of sync, I'll just give you a quick second to get to that point so we can fall back into sync. And I'm hitting play again now. So the next entry comes down and we have Y2J. Now Y2J in this match presents something that he also presents in 2004, which is what I like to call a second tier favourite which is a guy who could feasibly win the Royal Rumble. You wouldn't necessarily reject the notion of him winning the Royal Rumble, but he's far from one of the guys that you think will. But it's in the second tier favourites that you really get a lot more vibrancy and colour in Royal Rumble matches because it just it's about subtext and roster positioning uh, and the inclusion of guys like Jericho, it just adds a little bit of something to the Royal Rumble match that I think it lacks if you don't have them. There's a number of Royal Rumbles without those 2nd favourites, and I think they're a little less colourful than those with them. And by the way, Jericho comes in and immediately goes for it, and it plays off of their interactions earlier that very night, but also on Monday Night Raw as well. I mean, I think that's something that perhaps we should see a little bit more of in Royal Rumbles these days, which is this idea of personal agenda. Guys coming in there with their own agendas, with their own histories, with other competitors, and actively riffing off of that when they enter in the match. Actively riffing off that in the uh, in the action, and again we're in a, we're in another set piece here. Jericho, Triple H going back and forth. We move into a Walls of Jericho. It's happening in the background while T- Dibiase and JTG are in the foreground. There's so much going on. Triple H counters the Walls of Jericho. He goes right after Jericho again, and we move straight into a near elimination. And there you are again, skinning the cat again. It's milked that little bit much more than it normally is doing. It's such a simple idea, you know, but it, when the idea of a Royal Rumble match, the inherent idea of a Royal Rumble match is, I've got to throw these guys over the top rope. It's remarkable to me that more Royal Rumbles don't actually just use more of that for their advantage. I mean, the near elimination still going here with Jericho's leg uh, sort of falling off the ring apron because if you think about how many false finishes you'll get in a standard singles match because the idea is to get the pin... It's amazing to me you don't see it more in in Royal Rumble matches, and I think if we did, you'd get a lot more vibrancy in Royal Rumble matches that, even though I love every single one of them, genuinely, they can sometimes start to feel a little bit lethargic. Taking another sip of tea. Mainly because Mike Knox is in, and (laughs) I've got nothing really interested to say about Mike Knox. I mean, to be fair... He has a fairly impressive performance. Uh, he, he lasts in the ring a long time. He doesn't really do much of note. Now, in the background there, in the corner, DBS and Orton, you know, discussing, teaming up. They move in as a duo on JTG. They start to pick him apart. I mean, one thing, Legacy was kind of a failed idea in the end, but I think one thing that they did really well when they operate as a group, particularly in this match, is the the, the, the style of assault they had. It was like rabid hyenas. There's something quite feral about the way that they would stop beating someone down, and it could sometimes be quite uncomfortable to watch. Very visceral style, and, and I really enjoyed that. Set piece again there, Triple H, well, kind of. I suppose it sort of stumbled in, Triple H thrown into the ropes. Back in the sort of the late 80s, that guy probably would have just uh, staggered and turned around or moved somewhere else and done something unnaturalistic. It's great, how Triple H just kind of tumbles into the guys against the ropes. There's a real sense of realism, even though... This match is so heavily stylized. What I like is there's still that sort of element of realism. I also like the fact that Mysterio knocks a paired off in the background because of their little feud at the time. As as uh, the Miz enters here, <laughs> how far he's come when you think about it, incredible. Um, and by the way, Mysterio ends 2008 barely relevant. You know, has that win in 2006 that's lethargic and horribly entitled and just barely worthy of a Royal Rumble victory. So it's nice that he puts in the kind of a performance that he puts in, in this particular Rumble match. Another a near elimination here. You've got action bouncing all over the place with The Miz as Jericho's trying to lift Mysterio out in a vertical suplex. So much variety in the style of, of near eliminations as well. It's not just that they keep going back to the skin and the cap welder. People are th- trying to find new ways of throwing the other guys out all of the time and I love that. Um, you know, from, from what we saw earlier with Orton sort of almost bent in half by Mysterio and through to what we saw a moment ago, Jericho trying to suplex Mysterio out. Miz and Morrison there sort of lacing it up with, uh, with Legacy in another nice little moment. You know, there's so many of these. And immediately, another set piece, middle of the ring, Mysterio, Orton, Morrison. Watch as Morrison goes into an RKO uh, and uh, Miz eats an RKO of his own. We get rapid-fire machine-gun RKOs. There goes JTG. RKO for you. And then all of a sudden... Out comes Triple H, nails a pedigree on Randy Orton, and again. So and again, you know the action's being picked apart, and then you get another set piece. Morrison and Miz thrown into each other, they both go tumbling out, and as if that's not enough. You almost, immediately, Mysterio attacks Triple H. So again, this is all fluid. This is all one sequence. Mysterio comes off the ropes as Finley enters the ring and Mysterio's thrown over. Near elimination, he does his Kofi tribute. There you go. Uses Mysterio, and Mi- uh, <laughs> Morrison and Miz as stepping stones. I mean, it's just... I, you think about the speed with which that all happened and how seamless that all was. It, one bleeding into, another, bleeding into another, bleeding into another, bleeding into another set piece to set-piece, to near-elimination, to set-piece, to elimination. I mean, it's just phenomenal. And all the while, you've got another guy coming in, Finley coming in, uh, to do his thing as well. I mean, it's just incredible. Absolutely incredible how this match is structured. Here's another near-elimination here, again, being milked. They're all over the place in this thing. It really is just the most relentless Royal Rumble match. I mean, I'm, I'm exhilarated. We're not even halfway through this thing and it feels like we've already seen about as much as you would see in a standard Royal Rumble match, doesn't it? Most Royal Rumble matches, that, you know, they might have one or two, kind of, maybe um, five or six maximum, sort of big set piece moments. This one, so far, we've seen that many, and we're not even halfway through, man. And the best thing is, it's involving everybody from all tiers of the card. One thing that we're going to see at the back end of the 2009's Rumble when we get there is sort of how roster positioning comes into play. But it's great how, while that roster positioning is feeding the, uh, the excitement. In, in, in a certain way. You know, it's exciting to see Morris take on Triple H because you don't normally see it. On the other hand, it's great how it doesn't mean anything in this. You know, you're seeing Legacy pick apart Finlay here. You've seen uh, Triple H interact with Miz. You've seen Mysterio interact with Orton. You know, there's no there's no sense of snobbery about uh, who's interacting with who. Not that there ever really is in a rumble, but again, it sort of just takes some extra meaning when you're dealing with something as vibrant as this. As Cody enters now... And what's great about this, you've seen Orton reeling in the corner for a second, he's taking a deep breath, Cody comes in, he slaps Orton awake, and suddenly Orton's like, oh, I've got both my cronies. And it's like, it's just a tiny little touch. If you need to, after we've finished, go back and watch Cody's entrance, Orton's kind of gasping for breath for a second, he's re- utterly revitalised now. This is something we wouldn't see again until The Shield, I don't think The Shield ever did it as a trio. You know, much to to legacies. Uh, praise, they're just, I mean, and again, it's uncomfortable, the way that they just attack people feels uncomfortable because of how realistic it feels. You know, I feel like there's real weight behind the kicks and the punches and something really ugly about the feral nature of it all, and suddenly look at that, the ring is become a flat landscape just because of that sudden rush from Legacy in the background, another set piece Mysterio goes for a springboard, gets nailed with an RKO. I mean, Mysterio, I was saying earlier, I think I might have got cut off you know he really kind of has a great performance in this rumble, and it feels almost like an apology for that lackad- lethargic lackadaisical horror of two thousand and six if he'd have been in in two thousand and six what he is in this rumble, I'd be perfectly happy to go back and rewatch two thousand and six because this is a match in which Mysterio earns his privileged position. In moments like that as well, you know, again, another set piece breaks apart the action. It's not just a bunch of guys pairing off, it's not just people trying to throw each other over. There's something so much more at the heart of this Royal Rumble match that you don't otherwise see as we count down. Now, this is one of my favourite moments of this entire match because there's the gong. And again, a fraction of a second before the lights go out, you see Triple H spin around, everybody's heads shoot up, everyone looks to the entrance. It's just a fantastic character moment, folks. And before Undertaker even emerges, you know, and you get this, again, roster position. The Undertaker, he's not just a heavy hitter. He is the heavy hitter. And now the entire action in the ring has stopped. This is not something we've seen since 1998. When Stone Cold Steve Austin's music hit and he came down to the ring and it's so effective. Triple H throws. Go back and watch that again as well. He throws DBSC and Cody Rhodes into The Undertaker showing his own guile, showing his own ring generalship, showing that he has issues with legacy. Just little moments like that are so laced with so much subtext, with so much character. I'm talking about how Triple H throws DiBiase at someone while The Undertaker is just cleaning house. There goes JTG. I mean, it's a typical, again, action hero style performance from the Undertaker in this match, he gets a, a relatively good number. He's in the, uh, I suppose he's technically in the second half of the match at sixteen, but you know it's it's not too too early, it's not too late. You know it's a number you can work with. He comes in like a house of fire. Everybody treats him like he's the favorite, like he's the biggest threat in the match. And uh, it's you know, and he 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 constantly evokes this sense of of being infallible throughout this entire thing. If you keep an eye on him, you'll see him kind of get on the back foot in a few scraps, but really, for the most part, it's not like you ever. I don't think we'll ever see him doing the kind of near eliminations that we've seen from practically everybody else in the ring. I mean, how quick was that two minutes, man? By the way, I mean the I suppose ninety seconds the Undertaker clobbering everybody in sight. It's just a fantastic rush of moment. I remember that moment on the night, and it was it was amazing. Then out comes Goldust. I mean, it just it just does not stop this thing. Goldust comes out, and we go from The Undertaker's entrance, incredible character moment, to another incredible character moment here, one of, of many we see in Rumble Law. Goldust nails Ted DiBiase with a hard right hand, and all of a sudden, DiBiase's best mate, Cody, and you get this standoff. Now, we've seen this a bunch of times, but this is particularly permanent, pertinent this year, and we're going to see why is these two unfold. Because Goldust is here, you know, he sort of gives Cody that look of disgust, looks him up and down with a sneer on his face, slaps the taste out of his mouth. There's a sense of family shame in in Rhodes' actions and the fact he's teamed up with with Randy, who, of course, punted Dusty Rhodes just two years before in the summer. Uh, And so, and it's great to see Cody kind of that arrogant young, and look at Orton in the background. Look at Orton in the background just watching, not doing anything, watching Cody fumble, watching Cody struggle, watching Cody mess this up royally, the the brash, arrogant young kid getting a pasting from his brother, and boom, RKO. Picks his spot. Now, it gets even darker because Orton gives Cody a look Beckons him, he's like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to teach you a lesson now. It's time for you to become a man, my friend. As he puts a hand on his shoulder. And he te- he, he could have just eliminated Goldust himself, but he doesn't. He wants to further brainwash Cody. He wants to further warp Cody. He wants to further manipulate Cody. And Cody picks Goldust up and in the most unceremonious of fashions, dumps him to the outside. Not only is that one of the bout's most compelling set pieces, one of countless of them. Watch in the background as well. Finley, Cody and Orton shaking hands there in an interaction while DBRC is being carted around on Finley's back. It's a great moment. It's a very dark moment when you really consider what it means for Cody's character, what it means for the family, what it means for Goldust and what it makes Orton into. Um, and the fact that they shake hands afterwards. It's just there's something quietly disturbing about it and I, and I love it so much for that. Uh, in comes CM Punk. by the way, great outing this year in the 2009 Rumble and I think he probably needed it at the time given the disastrous sort of run that he had as world champion in 2008 that never really seemed to go anywhere. I think a lot of people uh, particular people who weren't familiar with Punk away from WWE, were kind of like, I don't, uh, I don't get it. don't get what this guy's up to. So uh, Punk stays in here a long time. He gets a nice interaction here with Triple H. While Finley's stumbling to near elimination in the background, GTS on Triple H. You can see Jericho's already going over the top rope as well, with Cody, uh, again, in line with, with Orton. It's just there's action all over the place, man. I know that's a cliche. And again, look at the style of Jericho's near elimination. This is hardly... Ordinary, you know. It's it's hardly just standard stuff. the The positioning in the ring, the the way his body's all mangled around the corner, the the visceral nature that Orton's trying to eliminate him. You see Jericho scrape the eyes and and uh, and headbutt Cody to get back into this thing. Mysterio's now almost going out on the on the opposite end with Mike Knox. You can, can't even see him. Behind the Undertaker. But again, another elim- near elimination. It's pretty cool seeing Finley as well. Get a bit of a get a, a bit of a brawl with the uh, Undertaker. He loves to fight after all. Here comes Mark Henry. You know, you can't help but think maybe if it was a couple of years later at Entry nineteen, he'd be a he'd be perhaps a bigger a bigger force in this thing, but this was before his career rejuvenation. Look at Cody and Ted there, sort of backing off. They're still side by side. You'd be hard pressed in all the time that Cody and Ted are in this thing to find any protracted passage of time where they're not joined at the hip. That's another great thing about Legacy's performance in this. They operate as a team, which makes them even more despicable because obviously, and I spoke about this on the Tropes show I did about the Royal Rumble match last week, obviously uh, you know the the key, the central crux of the Royal Rumble match is it's every man for himself. When I, mean, I was talking about how you add those stakes on, suddenly if you're not being every man for themselves, it makes it even more despicable. The great thing about Legacy here is Ted and Cody are constantly side by side and you know that when it comes down, if it comes down to him and them and Orton, they're not gonna they're they're just gonna do what one tells them to do, you know. So there's something really kind of despicable about um not just the way that, that legacy repeatedly target people and beat them down, but again, look at them. They're side by side, man. You can't pick them apart and they're keeping their distance from Mark. Which is a nice little, uh, nice little touch, and and Mark Henry again, he's engaging in some interesting set pieces here. You've got a bit of stand. See what's happening in the right corner now. That's what you usually get on mass in a Royal Rumble match. That's 2008 through and through, end to end. For example, 2009's been doing so much so differently that I just can't fathom how people don't think it's it's one of, if not the best Royal Rumble match because. 2004, I know, is one that the doc, for example, is a big fan of, and that has that has set pieces in itself. But it kind of it doesn't flow anywhere near as seamlessly and as fluidly as this one does. This one, you can't. It's happening as fast as you can breathe. You can barely keep up with it as you sort of call the commentary, and in just a few short seconds, guess what? You're going to get another one. And the other thing is, you know, as we as we prep to get this other one, which is going to come from Shelton Benjamin, so keep a close eye on him. These set pieces tend to involve the whole, you know, it's making use of the whole raft of participants in this thing. I mean, that's another thing that I love about this is the the scope of this Royal Rumble in terms of its subjective storytelling is not limited. You know, it, it, it puts a whole slew of its cast of characters in the spotlight, gives them their moment. And this is Shelton Benjamin's moment right here as he leaps to the top rope. It's a repeat of something he did the previous year. I will grant it's not quite as smooth, smooth. As the preceding year, but it's a set piece nonetheless, and it's an impressive one. And again, it breaks that action up, so it's not just. And there you, you get another one with Mark Henry, who stumbles around. Now I think they would; they were under the the impression there'd be a, a six-one-nine coming there. It never does. CM Punk, another near elimination, skinning the cat. So you get that repeating itself again. There's so much going on, man. As we sort of, this is where it kind of settles into more routine. I will admit, the set pieces come at. Um, at a little uh, slower pace as the ring... I mean, look at the number of bodies in the ring. It's its really getting chock full and it will only get fuller from this point on as as William Regal enters now. And every Royal Rumble match, you know, it has these passages. It has these moments in it where things are perhaps a little less um, grandiose. But again, you know, even again, as Regal made his, his way down to the ring, Mysterio was up by Mark Henry, he gets thrown over the top, he's skinning the cat... Turns around, The Undertaker nails him, Mark Henry, it happened off camera there, so you might not have seen it, but Henry stumbled around, Undertaker whacks him with a fist, Henry stumbles around again, and the Mysterio, who he just almost eliminated him with skin, and was skinning the cap, pulls the top rope down and Mark Henry's gone. So, even off camera, folks, even when it's not the centre of the camera's focus, the centre of the match's focus, there are these set pieces going on, these complex choreographed exchanges going on that just mark this royal rumble as a beast apart from the rest of its of its kin that i just adore so much and again in the back corner there legacy still side by side targeting triple h extending that feud it's pretty cool seeing shelton benjamin lace up with the undertaker as i recall they had a couple of matches on smackdown before uh, before the royal the Royal Rumble match and Triple. I look at Triple H. It's like he's being crucified by Legacy in the corner. There, he's upside down, literally, in that near elimination. He falls uh, in a heap onto the ring apron. Legacy, too tired to capitalize. Uh, and what a camera shot that is! What a if you could just frame that, like just brilliant. You know the exhaustion on Triple H's face. By the way, don't forget. As Kofi makes his entrance here, Triple H and Randy Orton have been in there since entrance. What was it? Seven and eight, something like that. So they've been in there a good twenty, thirty minutes by this point, and they've made it look effortless. There's no sound. Sa- and and if you if you're able to listen to the commentary over the sound of my voice, you'll you'll. Uh, there's another in- near elimination. There's so many um, with Cody there. If you're if you're able to hear the commentary over the sound of my voice, then J.R. and and Jerry the King Lawler, it's not like in other years, you know, where they go, oh, you know, Rick Martel's been in there for over 40 minutes, Kane's been in there for 50 minutes, and then making a big point of it. It's just it's just accepted that they're in there for so long. And Trip and Jericho's been in there a long time at this point as well. By the time the match ends, Undertaker will have been, CM Punk will have been, Rey Mysterio's been in there since number one, and they're barely mentioning it. And that's another aspect to this match's charm and this match's intense accomplishments. Is that you have these just almost Endless Iron Man performances from almost everybody who enters the ring and all of it just is made to look effortless. The, 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 the class of performance in this match is world class. There's no other way to describe it. Um and it's just you know I just wanted to make a point of that because we're really starting to get into the deep quarter of this thing there's another unique little move in the corner from Undertaker and Shelton Benjamin as the Undertaker counters Benjamin and then dumps him down hard and unceremoniously and then eliminates him one thing I like about the Undertaker's performance in this is it's pacing you know, while everything else, I remember, and Mysterio in the corner, again, look, on the left, upside down, wrapped around that ring post. When was the last time you saw that kind of a near elimination in a Royal Rumble match? Jericho's literally just trying to push him down by his arse. It's just fantastic stuff. I love every second of it. What I was saying about the Undertaker because I love the pacing of his performance here. I remember Shawn Michaels talking once about how, while everyone else in the ring was speeding up in the midnight, as he was slowing down, and you almost get that in this match. Ray really, really skinning the cat there. Incredible near elimination. You know, everything's. You've got all these creative set pieces. I love that Kane's entrance is like a mini version of The Undertaker's as well. How suitable is that? But um, you get all these near eliminations, these breathless sequences, these set pieces, and in the middle of it all, Undertaker's just there, you know, calmly sort of staying out of the. uh, staying away from meeting with disaster, chucking the odd guy out here and there. It's measured, it's well paced, and it's what marks him out as one of the dominant forces in the match. Great character moment here. A stare down between the brothers of destruction. Uh, as we wonder, you know, it's 2001 all over again. Are they together? Are they against each other? They pick Ted DiBiase up. It's particularly uh, enthralling because it's one member of Legacy who have been this despicable and kind of smarmy force so far. And you get a double choke slam. What a beautiful moment. Kofi stumbles around, Jericho runs in, and it looks like we're going to get another one. Kane goes for it. The Undertaker decides to do something a little bit different. But what a wonderful little character moment. And again, another set piece. Another set piece that breaks the action apart, that does something a little bit different, that's a little bit more creative. But yeah, and and the other thing is with The Undertaker, talk about what I like about his performance in this thing. Don't forget, you know, he himself has a 30-odd minute outing in this match, and he's busted open. Like, that's impressive, particularly when you consider he's, even though this was 10 years ago, he's already sort of reaching maybe the twilight years of his career. This is when he would transition into that genuine part time status. And, uh, you know, Ray Mysterio just avoids disaster with a choke slam from The Undertaker there, thanks to Mike Knox, curiously, uh, given that Mike Knox has targeted Mysterio for most of the match. Uh, and I missed, I missed William Regal's elimination there, by the way, which is one of the more bog standard ones. Our truth comes in now. We're at entrant 24. What we're going to see by the time we get to entrant 30 is we're really going to see roster positioning come into play in the conclusion. And I'll sort of set the foreground for that now while we've got a bit of a quieter moment in the match. After Big Show enters, watch how the order of elimination goes down. Because even though it doesn't strictly follow this rule, the general rule it follows by the time you get to that post-30 final passage is that the bigger your star power the later you you last in the longer you last in the match it sort of whittles it down from the smaller stars first to the bigger stars last until you're left with the biggest uh, characters in the match that applies not just from a, a real world uh, roster positioning sense it also applies from a character sense, because, of course, we know who the most formidable characters in the ring are. It's Triple H, I'm around, and I'm so on around so forth. so it makes sense that they would be the last ones left, right? So just watch out for that as we get past the number 30 spot. By the way, I just missed uh, Kane being tipped over the top rope by a bunch of guys in a nice little sort of nod to a mini version of how you usually get that big moment where everyone in the ring teams up against the big guy. Uh, so you're, you're getting some kind of... Uh, Winks and nudges towards traditional rumble tropes, even amongst all of this kind of more uh, creative output that we would normally see in a royal rumble match and of course, what would a Royal Rumble match be talking about traditional tropes without a shock return right it's it's It wasn't always this way, but in recent years it's become very much the fact that you will usually get a veteran make an appearance, a shock appearance. RVD occupies that spot in 2009. Again, you get a, you get a certain reaction from the roster who all gather in one corner. And the reason they do that is to give RVD the room to, again, be a bit more creative than the normal. RVD's offense, of course, famously sort of unique uh, and needs that space to be able to operate. So while you could say it's kind of a bit jarring to see everybody suddenly gather in one corner and queue up waiting to get get attacked, there's no denying that it's an exhilarating moment, it pops the live crowd, it's exciting, and it exhibits again a traditional Rumble trope, which I talked about last week, which is past meets present. You get this, this notion of, of time standing still. What's important, though, is this isn't Jimmy Snooker and Roddy Piper, again, from the preceding year. You know, this is someone who quite clearly still has something to offer, can quite clearly go. And just bouncing off what I was saying a few moments ago about... Uh, how roster positioning comes into play and it's into the post thirty entrant passage of the match. Uh, it's important that the RVD do occupy that spot. The RVD is able to still contribute something because. Uh, he's ultimately one of the last men in the ring. Spoiler alert. Um, you just saw, by the way, uh, Mysterio turn R-Truth over so RVD could potentially nail the five-star then retreat back into the corner. Nice little canny character move from, RV, from uh, Ray Ray. Easily missed because Ray and RVD used to be tag team champions at one point in the, in the mid-noughties, I believe. And it's nice to see them picking on that sort of sense of continuity uh, and that sense of, again, character depth, you know, character depth. It's those little moments... Along with everything else I'm talking about, it's not just in the grandiose achievements of this thing that it finds its magic. It's in those tiny little moments that, you, that you'll that you miss if you blink, that you'll miss. Um, and you just saw it again, RVD and Mysterio teaming up on R-Truth. Canny idea from Mysterio to find a partner, especially this deep into the match. Uh, given that he's been in there since number one, he's been highly active throughout. Brian Kendrick pushes Kofi Kingston out. Curiously, we don't get the usual shenanigans we'd often get from Kofi. Brian Kendrick, sadly, meets an unfortunate and swift end at the hands of Triple H. What you'll find over the next, maybe, I think it's the next three entrants, it's interesting because you've stacked the ring up with all these sort of prominent characters, uh, and you're building towards that conclusion. Uh, And I'll not spoil who comes out at number 13, in case you're not too familiar with this Royal Rumble. But you're building towards that big conclusion. And they kind of they this is where they inject a bit of humor because every Royal Rumble has to have a bit of humor in it, right? But they kind of the the interesting thing about R V about R V D God, my mind's racing man. About the two thousand nine Rumble, there's another near elimination from CM Punk, so we'll add that one to the list. You can hear JR's tone of voice in the background there, just exasperated with how many of these near eliminations are happening. Interesting about 2009 Royal Rumble is it packs the humour together in this trilogy of entrances that we that we're going to see unfold here, starting with Brian Kendrick in his quick departure at the hands of Triple H, followed up by of course Dolph Ziggler, and uh, it's quite funny looking back on this on um, sort of the uh, the I don't know how to describe it the it's not humiliating, but the the uh, demeaning outing Dolph Ziggler's afforded here as he comes in hot he turns around and he says, hi my name's Dolph Ziggler, maybe you should start doing that again, uh, shakes Kane ha- Kane's hand and Kane just tosses him out in a second, which we'll see any time now, there you go, and Dolph's gone quite funny when you consider how Dolph's career has then gone on to progress the way it has done. Um, I'm very tempted if this is successful to maybe one day do the 2013 Royal Rumble match. That is really a career best night for, for Dolph Ziggler. His performance in that match I would put on par with Randy Orton's in this. It's so commanding and just so... Uh, gravitic, you know, every everything just orbits around him that year and uh, it's a shame that the career never came to much. I was a big Dolph Ziggler fan, I was a big fan of him at this point, actually. I remember his debut match with Batista, so I kind of wish he'd gotten a bit of a, more of an outing. I paused there so you could hear JR say Ray DBS Ray dBS they're all over the darn place. That, it just inhabits everything about this match, doesn't it? You've got DBS doing near elimination on one side, Ray on the other, the camera cutting swiftly between the two of them, the announcer's trying to keep up. There's more happening in this thing than you could possibly keep eyes on, and all of it is, I, I know I'm sounding like a broken record, but I'm trying to drive home the point that this is so much more creative than your standard average Royal Rumble. There's so much in it to get something out of. There's so much going on. We're going to round off our trilogy of uh, comedy entrances here because you can add on top of all of the creative exuberance of this Royal Rumble, all of its genre, sub- all of its subversive approaches to the genre a record as well because, of course, as we've just seen Santino get thrown out before I could even get to talking about him, he sets the record for shortest amount of time spent in a Royal Rumble match. I think it is literally like a second uh, when Kane eliminates him. You get that nice little pop from the crowd there. It's important to, to lighten things up because, as we're going to see when we get down to the final six in particular... By the time at this Royal Rumble's conclusion, it does become a very heady affair. It becomes a very serious affair. It's easy to forget heading into this match that Randy Orton had just punted Vince McMahon in the head on the Monday Night Raw go-home show, and that that facilitated one of the most intense periods, one of the most intense build-ups to a, to a WrestleMania main event we'd ever seen. Obviously, a lot of people would, would consider the eventual WrestleMania main event itself a bit of a flub on the night, but the TV that followed was was really quite extra special, and uh, it started here. So there is a very serious undercurrent to this to this match, and and Orton, the idea of an Orton victory is 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 very kind of threatening for for a number of reasons. There's another curiously RVD uh, specific near elimination is he's pulling the splits. Legacy. I mean, look at Legacy. We're, we're so deep now, and Legacy are still together. Triple H is upside down again with Kane near elimination. I mean, good Lord, is this everybody? Has everybody done this yet? I'm, I'm not sure, but it certainly feels like it. Mike Knox is still going, man. What a performance there. I guess maybe we could make that trilogy of entrances uh, a quadrilogy of, of comedy entrances. We're up to 29, and it's Jim Duggan. Jim Duggan, of course, he wins the first first ever Royal Rumble. Uh, and uh, in he comes, House of Fire. You know, funnily enough, it's kind of like an action hero performance himself here. He gets the late number. He comes in. He starts attacking. I love the fact he takes it to the Undertaker. Look, I'm usually not into these kind of nostalgia things, but um, this Royal Rumble is so good that it's that it's single sin. I dare say we can we can forgive. And it's not like Hacksaw overstays his welcome here either. Goes around nailing everybody. Excuse me. Yawning. Um, and, uh, yeah, it goes around nailing everybody. And, uh, you know, look at the size of him as well, by the way. Like, it shows you how much wrestlers have generally sort of gotten smaller over the years. Ho! Oh! That's thing that you'd never hear on. Uh, I think you probably thought you'd never hear on Sports Entertainment is dead. We're still going with the near eliminations. Look, Triple H hanging on again. And this is where we're going to start winding down now. Number 30 is due to come out any second. I'm hoping sooner rather than late because I'm I'm really running out of things to say about Hacksaw Jim Duggan, who is a one-trick pony in his prime, and even more so now that it's 2009 and he's still wrestling in those damn blue swimming trunks. Um now begins. Entrant number 30 on his way. Now, the vigilant of you will probably be able to guess, if you're not too familiar with the Royal Rumble, that is who this is. It's the Big Show. And it's not just the Big Show. It's the Big Show in his most favourable number in a Royal Rumble match, I think, ever. Coming in at number 30. (coughs) Excuse me. And, uh, you know, he would obviously headline WrestleMania 25. But Big Show coming off of a big feud with The Undertaker. Look at his body language. He's sauntering to the ring few guys pause, not everybody, they're, they're slowly beginning to understand. Big Show with a smile on his face, he knows that he's got to be, from a fictional perspective here. The character knows he has to be the odds-on favourite, and look at the Undertaker, he's waiting, he's telling people to keep their distance, he's waiting for the Big Show, he wants the Big Show. These two had had a, a, a broiling rivalry at the end of 2008, of course, that eventuated, I believe, in a last-man-standing or a casket match at Survivor Series, I think. They square off. This is a refrain that we'll see a few times in the remainder of the match. And there comes Kane from from off-camera. Brothers of Destruction. Nice little subtext to that move. Now, we've got everybody left in the ring now. And we're going to see them start to be whittled down eventually. And they're going to be whittled down very roughly. Again, it's not precise. But they're going to be whittled down very roughly according to their star power. And their fictional capabilities. And I guess we're going to start maybe with Hacksaw Jim Duggan. I can't quite remember the, the, the order of elimination. But good on Hacksaw going straight after the threat, Big Show. Yeah, we're going to start with Duggan here. Big Show picks him up, tosses him out. So Hacksaw's the first gone. He's the first gone because he's the least relevant. He's not a contemporary star. He's a veteran, and even in his prime, was never a champion. Um, This Shades of 2004 here. 2004 ends in the Final Four, where Jericho repeatedly takes to the Big Show. Obviously, they go on to form Jericho later that same year. But Jericho, you know, I love the idea that he's always been very, very aware of how much of a threat Jericho is. uh, sorry, that these has been very much aware of the threat of, of what a threat Big Show is. So shades two thousand four, that Punk another near elimination from Punk. So even at this this latter stage, we're we're still getting those as the Big Show now is going to town on our truth. You've seen the action settle down now. It's been a while since we've really gotten a set piece, and I don't know whether that's a combination of people just generally being quite exhausted, being perhaps out of ideas, whether it's just because we're settling in for what I believe is a superlative final six. That we're going to see uh, sometime soon. We're still getting these near eliminations. Look, out on the top rope. I love how the camera's making a point of this as well. Let's make a point of that because you know these near eliminations wouldn't feel quite as much the events they do if the camera wasn't sort of urgently focusing in on them. Uh, and there goes our truth in the background. So again, perhaps the least relevant of the contemporary stars left in the ring. Certainly the least pertinent, least prominent legacy are taking on the Undertaker, who goes to eliminate Cody. And another near elimination. More skin the cat, and Cody hangs on. I mean, I love how much we're time we're seeing that. We even get Big Show doing that a little later on. So keep your eyes peeled for that. Sam Punk's now uh, up next. He's being targeted by the Big Show, and again, we get shade. This is exactly how Jericho was with Big Show in 2004. Constant near eliminations, constantly coming back, Punk hanging on. How savvy does Punk look? He's not really done much since he's been in the ring in the foreground, but he looks like a real savvy. Before he goes up top, he thinks, oh, that's a bad idea. He jumps down, he attacks Big Show, third near elimination in a row, and he finally gets undone by the knockout Punch. So again, Punk, perhaps his star power, not quite considered to be up to scratch with most of the people left in the ring, maybe the Exception being Finley, of course. Um, but again, we're whittling down the star power. We're whittling down the, the most dangerous competitors. And from a fictional point of view, you could say that maybe Finlay is more of a favourite for Punk just because finley has got the age, he's got the weathered experience, and ultimately he loves to fight. So this is very much his environment. There goes Mysterio and Mike Knox... Uh, on the outside, a nice double elimination. Fitting they get thrown out together as well because they're in the midst of a rivalry that had tied them up for most of the match. Impressive performance from Mysterio as well to go from number one. In comes Hornswoggle to facilitate the elimination of Finlay. Up he goes... Again, Hornswoggle. A bit more comedy, I guess, as well, to be fair. but um, And there goes Finlay. So again, we're whittling it down. We've, we're, we're whittling down the star power. We're whittling down the capability. Kane, of course... Is a bit, I love that little touch as well, that real world touch where he just kind of wipes the sweat from his nose and then immediately goes back into the fray, almost like he's a, he's it's just a day's work for Kane. He's so used to these Royal Rumble matches at this point that it's like it's just just another day at the office for the Big Red Machine, you know. Um, maybe not the office that he probably burned down sometime, but so again we're whittling down that star power, the fields. The field is, is thinning out, and we're, we're really getting some major stars left in there now. We've got Legacy, Undertaker, Big Show, Triple H, Kane, RVD, and Jericho. RVD, great performance from him. I think Michael Cole once said he was in the Final Four of every Rumble he'd been in at one point. I don't, he doesn't get that far in this thing. But he's always had great Rumble showings. And again, you're still getting that kind of unorthodox um, offense. Uh, which you will get from RVD, but it's still nice to see it even this this late stage. He's sort of taking his time, very savvy, not rushing into anything. He's trying to measure Big Show. Maybe that's his mistake, though, because Big Show's fresher, he's meaner, he's bigger. Still a near elimination with Triple H on the far side and a set-piece look. We're going into an IEDDT. Nice. Nice. Both men exhausted. Both men laid out. I mean, the storytelling in this match, in every corner, every small moment, is phenomenal. You get another stare down between The Undertaker and The Big Show until you can sort of see Jericho RVD getting in position there as these two bulls are about to load up and start unloading, and the undertaker gets the better. He blocks the right, he gets another. He blocks the right, he gets another. He blocks the right, he gets another. This goes on. You know, again, they're reprising that feud, so you get a little continuity in this. I love that Jericho comes from behind. How opportunistic and egotistical do you have to be to be Jericho in that position? Now, watch RVD. Five-star frog splash on Randy Orton. Staggers to his feet, injured. Jericho capitalizes, set-piece done. Lovely stuff. Fluid, seamless, expansive, shared universe, and what a character moment this is. Jericho smiling, senses the Undertaker, camera gets Jericho right down the eye, Jericho turns around, and there goes the Undertaker. Again, we're whittling it down according to star power. Jericho counters, codebreaker to the Undertaker, staggers against the ropes, Jericho seizes his opportunity, and he's gone. I I'm, I mean, I just love it. you know. Jericho, again, maybe the the least biggest star left in the ring at that point. I suppose maybe you could argue he's a bigger star than Kane. But from a fictional perspective, maybe the least dangerous at that point. We're really getting down to the nitty-gritty. Kane, how great is Kane to be in it this late, man? I mean, Kane always has a knack of doing this. Did this the year before as well. Got down to the Final Four when he really didn't have any business doing it. Like I said, it's just business. As, there's a real business. Now I'm thinking about it. There's a real business-as-usual kind of effort from Kane. Until Legacy come from behind... Double team him, pick him up. Undertaker makes a sly move to maybe try and help his brother, but thinks better of it. And now we get this superlative final six. Look at these six. Look at how Legacy is treated as a single entity. A single competitor almost you get the undertaker with his ethereal powers, triple h with his with his guile and his and his war weary experience, big show with his size and power, legacy with his numbers. each one of these these entities has a major advantage going in their favor at this late stage, and they pair up. Big Show taking the giant takes on the barbarian, the hyenas take on uh, the the lion of the, the the I guess the king of the jungle, the lion, the dead man, you know, the numbers counteracting dead man's uh, powers, Triple H's experience, count and toughness countering Big Show's size, but not quite because Big Show gets the choke slam. I just oh god, I love this. And there you see Legacy, look, they've got the Undertaker down. Big Show's taking a breather, he's in no hurry, and Legacy They're they're trying to use their numbers. They look like they've got an advantage over the dead man, but this is the Undertaker. He has that inhuman pain threshold, that inhuman ability to take punishment, bounce back, double clothesline. He grabs Orton by the throat. Now that Legacy has been picked apart, each hyena on his own, there goes one. There goes another in Ted DiBiase, and there goes the third in Cody Rhodes. You know, ultimately, the numbers game not quite enough to counteract The Undertaker's, as I said, his supernatural abilities, his ethereal powers. But now, we come down, I guess, to the two biggest threats in the match, then. You've tested the metal of each of those final favourite six entities, those final four entities, those six men. You've tested their abilities. You've tested how big a threat they are against each other. These are the two men left standing, the giant... And the phenom, the size, the strength, the power against the the ethereal supernatural nature of the dead man. It's so vivid, it's so colorful, it's so characterful. It's amazing. Big Show counters uh, countered with a big boot. Undertaker gains momentum and takes the Big Show down with one big clothesline. How impressive is that? The Undertaker bro- boiling up, firing on all cylinders. Big Show against the ropes. This is Undertaker in full-on action hero, babyface favorite mode. And there's the piece de resistance. Big Show skins the cat. The ultimate expression of the one of the predominant tropes of the entire match. Big Show skins the cat. He's on the apron. He's teetering. This is so dramatic, man. The Undertaker's trying to f- nail him off. And Orton, that hyena's back preying on the dead man. And still he can't get the better of him. That opportunistic Arco counted. But it's enough for the Big Show to drag the dead man. It's a real kind of deadlock between these two. I love it. It's a real tug-of-war. Now they're both on the apron. It's as dangerous for The Undertaker as it is for The Big Show. And there's the stalemate uh, demonstrated in literal terms. And amazingly, The Big Show gets the better of him. This, this isn't one of The Big Show's best Rumble performances. I don't know what is. What a moment. What a set piece. A glancing uppercut to the jaw stuns The Big Show long enough for Orton to get an RKO. Look at the way that Legacy power walk right into that double chokeslam. The way that they get up and they sort of siphon across the ring and forward into the grip of the Undertaker, only for the Undertaker to be pulled away on the outside by the Big Show. These two entities still locked in that deadlock, now brawling their way back through the crowd. What a great creative touch as well to write the two biggest threats out, to acknowledge they're the biggest threats, and then to write them out. It's genius, man. It's genius. I've never seen anything like this in a Royal Rumble match before or since and now we're left to this and we are sticking to that character vein because now we have that experienced ring general barbarian warrior triple h now he's faced with this pack of hyenas surrounding him he knows the situation he's in he's aware of the jeopardy that he's in but suck it, he says. I'm going to give it my best shot anyway. And, if, and you can't help but feel, you know, other than The Undertaker, if there's one guy who stands a chance of beating the odds, it's Triple H, just because of his abilities as a soldier, as a warrior, as someone who's been through the wars, who's been through the trenches, who knows what it is to get back up when you're drenched in blood and gore. But sadly, the numbers game, as we see here, it proves to be a little bit too much. Um, I failed to mention as well, by the way, the way that this final six has almost um, has progressed almost exclusively in set pieces. If you notice that, while while uh, Legacy were picking on the Undertaker, he had set pieces going on behind them with Big Show and Triple H. So, uh, And we're getting that here. And Orton, commanding performance from Orton again. Pick him up, he says. Pick him up. Almost impatient. DBS and Cody Rhodes wanting to do nothing but enjoy this moment like Orton has taught them to. Look at Triple H's body language. He's crawling. Look at the way he reaches out for Orton's face. There's so much subtext when you consider the history between those two men. Those shades and ghosts of their time in evolution, the ghosts of Triple H's portrayal of Orton in evolution. He has Orton, he has Triple H by the th- th- chin, but Triple H again, he's got that reserve, that deep reserve. Cody and DiBiase, that little moment they look at each other there, it's as if they're lost without their leader. DiBiase goes to check on, on Orton, he's like, keep him busy. But that's the that's a rookie mistake because they'd maybe be able to subdue Triple H if they'd stuck as a two symbol. They split up. Triple H got the better. In comes Cody. Look at Orton. He, again, Orton from the foreground. And this is the genius moment. A lot of people think Orton maybe is eliminated genuinely there the way he sells that near elimination. Again, that trope coming into its own pedigree on Cody DiBiase charges in in his own momentum used against him Savvy from Triple H who picks Rhodes up and throws him out and then but it's too late because an opportunistic Orton gets the final say and that wraps up what is in my mind the greatest Royal Rumble match of all time what an exhilarating and exciting performance and an ex- from, from all 30 people in that match. I mean, it's just a spectacular masterpiece. If you want a match full of 30 guys in the ring, you know, winner gets a WrestleMania shot, the sense of high stakes, the sense of urgency, the sense of jeopardy, that has felt like I've been recording for all of 10 minutes, and yet I'm at the 1 hour, 2 minute mark right now. And I just love it. I love it. I hope you could tell. I hope you know. You could tell how enthused I am. And I hope that by watching that with me, if you have done, uh, that you uh that you 've maybe seen that in a new light that maybe you 've got a little bit more out of that match than you have previously by picking up on those those little details those those tiny moments those flickers of frankly character genius that just pepper that thing throughout as well as the grandiose uh style of it as well as the grandiose character arcs as well as all the big stuff you 've got all the minutiae it 's just a multi layered tapestry, a masterpiece of a raw run match nobody. Will ever be able to convince me that that isn't the greatest Royal Rumble match of all time, uh, until of course one happens that's better. But it's hard to believe one will. I mean, it just feels like everything was on point that night: the near eliminations, the set pieces, the the focus on the stipulation, the focus on every man for himself by Legacy, sort of circumnavigating that. The character performances, the effortless Iron Man performances, the structure, the winner. Everything about it was, was, I think, picture perfect. I think 2004, to use Doc's favourite, is a great version of the Royal Rumble match, but frankly, it pales in comparison because of how it, it almost looks inadequate in the way it executes its ideas compared to 2004. I dare say the same about other matches that are often picked as best ever. I know a lot of people love 1992, but frankly, 1992 doesn't have a patch on 2009 in terms of the actual content. I mean, it's interesting because it has a similar conclusion that plays off of conscious roster positioning. Um, but yeah, ultimately, uh, just a just a, a a brilliant. I I've used the word several times already. Masterpiece of a Royal Rumble match. Well, there's no point me hanging on longer than I need to. That wraps us up. I hope you enjoyed that. Let me know if you thought that was a success. Let me know if you thought that was a disaster. I've kind of been a bit brave in experimenting with it. If you did enjoy it, if it was a success in your eyes, then I may revisit the idea with other matches in the future. God only knows what. God only knows when. Um, but I would love. Oh, I have one WrestleMania match in particular that I would love to sit and do this with. So do please don't hesitate to let me know uh, if you thought this week's show was a success. And you can do so by getting in touch in a no, number of ways. You can reach me on Twitter at lopplan. That's by far the best way. But otherwise, you can look me up on Facebook. Just look for Samuel Plan. You can hit me up with a comment on any of my posts or any of my uh, columns on Lordspain.net just by leaving a comment. You can email me Samuel.Plan101 at gmail.com or best yet sign up to LOP forums. Just let me know if you do so that I can make sure that your membership gets activated sooner rather than later because we do have to activate each new signee due to an attack of spam bots. So do please get in touch. Let me know your thoughts. And let me know your thoughts on the 2009 Royal Rumble match as well, incidentally. And in the meantime, you can check out all the great shows here on Lords of Pain Radio. We have one airing every night. We have... uh, Let me see if I can get these right. Kingdom of Honour on Mondays. We have Global Revolution and One Nation Radio on Tuesdays. We have myself with Sports Entertainment is Dead on Wednesdays. The Implications has the Perfect 10 podcast on Fridays. I may be back on Fridays as well with my fellow countrymen, Maverick and Mazza, with the right side of the pond. And of course, at weekends, we will have... The odd wild card show, whether it's you know aftershock, retro shock, or of course the legacy series. So keep always keep your eyes peeled to see if there's a special on the horizon. Until then, I will see you next week. I hope you enjoyed the show. Have a good one, guys.